Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page where you do get early access. Link will be down in the show notes. Okay, so I know I've already done one episode on this, a shorter episode kind of touching on this topic, but sadly, it is a trend that has continued. And so I decided to invite on somebody who could heap as much scorn and derision on this idea as I can. And maybe you've heard of him. He has a podcast. You might listen to it. I don't know. Dave Smith, host of Part of the Problem podcast. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jen. <laughs> so the first question I've got to ask is, Dave Smith, do you feel like your ideology has been annihilated? <laughs> well, of course, you already know the answer to this, Jen. But <laughs> no, I, I feel more than ever uh, that my ideology has been vindicated. And also, uh, perhaps more importantly, I feel like uh, going forward, uh, the libertarian perspective is going to be more important than ever that, uh, you know, it's going to be more important that we have our voices heard um, because we are really about to move into the age of the bailout big government era, even though people like me and you probably thought we were already living in that time. Uh, I think the, the, this round of stimulus and bailouts, as we saw today, is going to make 2008 look like nothing. Yeah, especially since I saw, well, I made the mistake of going on Twitter before recording this, and apparently United Airlines is already saying that, well, this stimulus isn't really going to be enough, and so we're probably going to still have to lay off people starting September 30th, and it's like, good job, guys. Good fucking job. You got played. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's like, who really got played? I mean, I think a lot of the American people get played, but I've... I've given up on the idea that like these, uh, um, you know, politicians were really trying to do what's best for the American people. I mean, this is a this is a massive corporate handout. And this is it. Come on. I mean, it's it's like it, it reminds me almost of like the neocons when they'd say like, oh, well, we'll overthrow Saddam Hussein and then everything will be great. And it's a nightmare. And then they go, oh, we'll overthrow Gaddafi and everything will be great. And it's a nightmare. And then by the time they're like, we'll overthrow Assad and everything will be great. It's like, I don't even think you people believe everything will be great. I think these weapons companies are just getting filthy, stinking rich. And this has nothing to do with what you're telling me. I, I think you're lying. And that's kind of how I feel about all of this. I don't, they've already bailed out so many companies and realized that doesn't protect jobs. That doesn't do anything for the average American. I think they know exactly what they're doing. And what exactly does bailing out the airline industry have to do with solving coronavirus exactly? Oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely nothing. And the, the truth is that, you know, it, it's like um, I was talking about this with uh, Tom Woods on my show the other day where he's saying, you know, it's like people uh, like what what's the downside of an airline company going bankrupt. He was talking about how someone uh, tweeted out. They were like, oh, I guess I guess we'll just go back to taking boats when people want to go to Europe or something like that. And you're like, do you think that the airplanes themselves are going to disappear? Like if these companies go bankrupt, okay, so then some in, in capitalists will come in and buy up the, you know, the assets and that's that. What, why, why should any average American who's already hurting right now feel that they have to bail out airline industries. And not to mention that if 
And in the stimulus package, there are some things that I can agree with, like the stuff that's meant to help small businesses, the people who have actually been told by the government, you have to shut down. Okay, fine. The airline industry has not been told they have to shut down. So I get really irritated when I see people make that argument. It's like, well, they're not in that category. So why the hell are they getting anything right now? Why are we even talking about them right now? People get really crazy in these when they're scared. I mean, I think just about every libertarian has probably noticed this uh, phenomenon. But when people are scared, they support any government policy and they don't even ask critical questions. And it turns into this thing. And this is how you've seen people like, you know, Thomas Massey getting so demonized um, today on Twitter. It's, It's like, well, no, you just have to bail out everybody because this is a bad economy. So send the money out. And it's crazy to even act like there's a like, why would you not? What are you just heartless or something like that? And you almost just want to start asking people like that, like, well, OK, if there's if there's no downside to this, why don't we just always bail people out? Like, why do we ever let businesses fail? Why do we ever work? Why don't we just have the government send us checks all the time? Right. Like and even if you start going in that direction, I think everyone would have to acknowledge there's some problem with that. Right. Like you can't just always live this way. Yeah, I'm sorry if you're a big multi-billion dollar business and you didn't have um, you didn't have enough savings planned for an emergency situation, then you don't deserve. It's not like, oh, I maybe even there are some companies where it's like, oh, it, it's too bad that that company went out of business. But it's not we don't have infinite resources. Resources are finite. The question is, should the American taxpayer be forced to bail out these companies? Like, I have no problem. Look, if you if you this is why I'm a, a complete voluntarist. It's like if you want to ask people, hey, you know, American Airlines looks like they might go out of business or, or whatever it is. Do you guys want to send them some money? Go ahead. Ask people. But why should we force people through the state to bail out these companies because that's what it comes down to robbing the american taxpayer for corporate welfare and it's really just kind of ridiculous that this is all being done in the name of well we have to do something about coronavirus like okay if you wanted to take that 60 billion dollars okay let's spend it on getting testing let's spend it on developing a cure or a vaccine for coronavirus what the fuck Right. But that almost right. But the the issue there is you almost even assume that they're attempting to do the right thing. That's what I was getting at before. Like, I, I just don't think that's the reality of the situation. And there's a lot of evidence to support this. You know, I mean, like nobody thinks that giving two hundred fifty million dollars to the Kennedy, you know, library or whatever has anything to do with coronavirus. It's just it's 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 pork craziness. It's just, oh, this is the opportunity. They see that there's a crisis. They see that they can jam things in this bill that no one's going to question. And everyone's giving their little corporate handouts. It's like when people would say, you know, like if, if you were talking about like uh, the war on drugs and people would uh, uh, make the the argument. I know you've heard this a million times, but, you know, people will say like, well, you know, alcohol is more dangerous than marijuana. And so why should pot be illegal and alcohol is legal. And it's almost as if the problem with that argument is that you're almost assuming that whoever's writing these laws is really trying to outlaw the bad thing because they want to protect people. But then you find out that the Partnership for a Drug-Free America was funded by alcohol and tobacco companies. And you're like, oh no, this whole thing's just a racket. 
it's not even that they, like they know that this isn't the, the that they know alcohol is worse for you than tobacco that or than marijuana. That's not the issue. The issue is that they're not concerned with what's bad for you. This whole thing is a racket. And uh, to me, I mean, that's more on display than ever with this just monstrosity, this two trillion dollar bailout package. It's it's insanity. It is. And I think an interesting thing that's going to kind of come out of this, and I hope it kind of sticks, is since the federal government is not exactly willing or able or whatever combination of the above to offer any kind of assistance on this, you're starting to see private markets having to step up to do this. You're starting to see state and local governments having to step up to fill that role. So I'm hoping for kind of a return to maybe a little bit more federalism, a little bit more free market, crossing my fingers, hoping it sticks. But it seems like a lot of people are starting to realize that the federal government is not going to come save you. It's not doing it now for various reasons, but it's not ever going to do it. And so maybe let's focus a little less on them and a little more locally and a little more on what private markets, what the free market can do as far as actually helping people in times of crisis. Well, I I certainly hope that you're right, um, and and I would I would love to see that happen. But you know, it's like uh, like the great Harry Brown used to say: uh, "Government breaks your leg and then offers you a crutch." And just so often, people are so grateful for the crutch at that point that they don't stop to to see how how their leg got broken to begin with. And you see this with, you know, the student loan, you know, debt and like a million and one different examples. But the, the truth is that, um, as, as I'm sure you know, that government has been stifling the free market from solving this problem from the very beginning, um, from, you know, cracking down on, on doctors and, and not allowing doctors to test when they want to, for, from the CDC and the FDA telling people not to use masks. Um, all of the red tape that that, that they have to go through to, to, you know, it's the whole reason why we don't have more hospital beds to begin with are these freaking certificate of need, uh, uh, you know, legislation. Uh, that, so it, I hope you're right, but my concern is that m at this point people don't really notice any of that. They just see, oh, my God, bad virus, and then they get a check from the government, and they're like, well, at least I got my 1200 bucks. And on the topic of government breaking a leg and at this point not even offering a crutch, <laughs> it seems like, and maybe this is just me being optimistic, but it seems like it's starting to seep a little bit into the public consciousness exactly how we got here domestically and how the CDC and the FDA just managed to completely shit the bed on this. And now we're all going to pay the price for this massive, massive, massive government screw up with the rollout of the initial testing and how the FDA only gave the CDC approval and then, and then the CDC's tests were just awful and they had to be trashed. And now we've lost six, seven weeks of lead time here. And now we're all like stuck in our houses because the federal government just completely fucked this up. Oh, yeah. No, no question about it. I mean, it's it's an it's a monumental government failure and and on a global level really i mean it was a failure from the chinese government the italian government got the iranian government governments all around the world but here in america i mean look right now think about it like this right and i, I wish people, like it's one thing with the respirators 
or people will be like, okay, they need more respirators. I could kind of see how you're like, well, respirators are kind of, you know, intricate and difficult to make. So, all right, there's a little bit of trouble. We didn't realize we'd need these many. But think about the masks, the fact that there's a shortage in masks. And, and wouldn't you just ask yourself right away, you go, wait a minute. So there's this tremendous demand for masks. And you're telling me the most powerful economy that's ever existed can't figure out a way to produce these masks. Like, doesn't something about that just smell kind of fishy? Oh, and then you realize that you have to get approval from the FDA to introduce any new mask because it's considered like a medical device or whatever. It's all government red tape that you just can't get out of the way that never needed to be there to begin with. And yeah, you're like, you're absolutely right. This is just a huge failure of government. This thing could have been completely contained we we would have all of the like, like i said we would have all the hospital beds we need we'd have all the masks we need we would have all the tests we need if the government would just simply get out of the goddamn way and they're still refusing to i saw that the fda actually told companies who had actually already developed at home coronavirus testing and actually had them on market already had people with samples on the way to the labs no, you can't do this. Destroy the samples. And the one thing that I have advocated for this whole time is we need $10 at home coronavirus testers that you can buy on Amazon and then everybody can get tested. And that's going to be the only way through this is for everybody to get tested so we can figure out, all right, who has this? Who doesn't have this? What do we need to do? How many people are we really talking about here? Like you can't even begin to start to address the economic issues until you start to address the public health issue. And there's just so many bottlenecks and red tape and just nonsense in the way of handling that issue. That's like, to me, almost trying to address the economic issues right now is ridiculous because we have no idea what we're trying to address. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I, I can already hear the kind of the, the criticism of, of your position and my position on this is like, well, you know, you want there to be some standard for these tests because any, and then some, you know, uh, uh, you know, schema or something like that could just come up with some tests that aren't really good tests or something like that. But just so you understand, um, it's not as if like there were real deal. Bob Murphy was talking about this on my show the other day. There were like these real deal reputable labs that were saying we can make tests that are being held up by the red tape of the FDA. So it's not as if this is just like, oh, like Bob, you know, in his basement is trying to make some some makeshift tests. You're talking about like reputable you know, scientists who are like, no, we can we can make these labs. And then they're like, OK, oh, we can make these tests. And then it's like, OK, well, it'll take two months for that to be approved. And you're like, OK, well, I wonder where the shortage is coming from. Yeah, it's like, are you, are you guys taking this seriously or not? Because it's like, I just I'm so I'm always, always irritated at the federal government, but just extra super irritated at the federal government right now, because this is this this didn't have to be. Like none of this that we are going through right now has to be happening yeah. and it is happening because they screwed up. No, absolutely. I remember um, I remember one time Ron Paul was um, this was probably around 2008, 2009 or something like that. And Ron Paul was I forget exactly what he was. I think he was grilling someone in, in some congressional hearing and he goes, uh, 
yeah, I think it was it might have been Bernanke. I'm not sure. But he was like, hey, how about why don't we just bail out the um, mortgage uh, holders? Like, wh- why don't we uh, bail out the people, the, the homeowners rather than the banks? Like, I mean, and you know, Ron Paul is against all of these bailouts, but he was like, hey, if we're going to bail out, why are we bailing out the banks instead of just bailing out people who own homes? Why don't we just, you know, take care of them? Like what? And there was nobody had an answer for it. Nobody had an answer. And there was something about the question that was kind of exposed the whole thing because the federal government's immediate response was to expend, extend, excuse me, $1.5 trillion to the big banks then bring interest rates down to zero, so essentially giving them as much free money to borrow as they wanted to. Then I think they came back and gave them another trillion dollars. And you're like, wait, why is that? Why, why, is, why is robbing the American people to give money to the big banks the first knee-jerk response that's not even debated? I mean, like, why isn't Congress discussing, like, okay, why don't we um, you know, why don't we just abolish the income tax for two years? Don't, don't worry, or make it retroactive. We'll give everybody their money back for the last two years. I mean, it's gonna if you if you take into account the stimulus package and the the Federal Reserve bailouts of the banks, it would be cheaper probably to just give everybody their income tax money back from last year. Why don't we just waive taxes on retirement accounts so people can just access their retirement money right now if they need it in case of an emergency? I mean, if your if your concern was actually the people and you're going in this bailout mentality, why is it never even considered? that we would actually help the people. You know what I mean? Like right away it's like, oh no, well, you know what really needs to happen right now is the bankers need to get like filthy stinking rich, even more so than they already are. Exactly. And if you just had to, had to, had to do something as far as a stimulus package, why not do it in a way that gives the cash directly back to people? Like people have already run the numbers on this and that if the entirety of this stimulus relief bailout package thing was divided up amongst every American, it would be like $6,000 a person. You could probably do more good just giving every person $6,000 and then letting them disperse it throughout the economy than deciding it's going to go to this industry or that industry or whatever industry that currently nobody's spending money with right now because obviously they don't want to. But it's just like, there's other ways that you could handle this if you just had to throw money at it. If you just couldn't stop yourself from throwing yeah. money at it, there's better ways to handle this. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you. And that that's not even, you know, the point there isn't even whether or not that's a good idea. It's just exposing that these these people don't care about the American people. That's just not their concern. And again, this is like the whole state apparatus. This is why it just doesn't work. You, you don't get these public servants who just really want to do the right thing. These are all, they're power brokers and they're, they're expanding their power in many different ways. And it's just, it just, it's like watching 2008 all over again. And it's going to end up the same way where we spend all this money. We don't really end up helping the people that need to be helped. Um, I was talking to somebody yesterday about how I'm not even entirely sure from a policy position what this bill is supposed to accomplish. Like, is this supposed to be stimulus? Is it supposed to be relief? It's not really doing a great job of either one of those things. I'm just, I'm very confused about how this is even supposed to help anybody. And like you said, it, it's probably not. But I mean, if, even if you're going to pitch it that way, I mean, at least 
try to make it look good. I mean, maybe two twelve hundred dollar checks. I don't know, but it's just like <laughs> I'm 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 so I'm so confused by it. Yeah, well, I mean, I I know I I well, I think the only way that the confusion dissipates is if you start looking at it from the perspective of oh, these people are sociopathic monsters who see a crisis and realize that they can expand their power in this moment of crisis and that people won't question it. I mean, you can look back at any of this stuff like look, look at the the push for the war in Iraq after 9/11. Now these guys all knew that that Iraq had nothing to do with 9/11 and these were all people who were pushing for war in Iraq in 1998. You know what I mean? Like they wanted this war, they saw their opportunity and they pounced when it came. And it's the same thing with a lot of these policies. They, they've wanted to, to give these corporate handouts all along. They saw their opportunity and they pounced and they're winning. Did they seize or did they pounce? I think they seized and pounced. <laughs> I think it was a little bit of pouncing and seizing, seizing and pouncing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but to try to make something a little more positive, because it's just not been a hell of a lot of positive stuff talking to talk about lately. Um, another thing that's kind of come out of this that has made me feel good, at least, is kind of watching the spontaneous order take place in places like New York and like Seattle, where people have of their own accord, voluntarily decided that, hey, we are going to help our neighbors or we are going to help our community or we are going to voluntarily self-quarantine or whatever it is. And to me, this kind of speaks to one of the biggest critiques that I've ever seen of libertarianism and or anarchism, which is that if the state wasn't there to tell people to do things, then they wouldn't do them. And it's like, okay, well, look at what's going on right now. Like people can spontaneously do things all by themselves without being told to do it. And it's another yes. one of those ways of like, we tried to tell you, but you didn't listen. Well, first of all, I would just say just on the sheer logic of it, it's um, it, it's a contradiction that falls apart if you're going to say, well, people aren't moral enough to do this and that's why we need the government. But then the people will vote on the leader who will do the moral thing, you know, and then also if people aren't moral, why are the people in government so much more moral than the other people? You get yourself into a lot of contradictions, which is pretty hard to work out. Like you have to somehow believe that these people who wouldn't do the right thing will vote for the guy who will do the right thing. And then you also have to believe that politicians are amongst the most noble moral people in our society. And if, if you can even get to that point without laughing through the sentence, I think, you know, you're, you're going to be in some very uh, shaky territory. Right. Um, but but you're right. And there there is there are beautiful things happening all around me and my wife were just watching um, on one of the like local news shows. But there was some story about uh, or they, they showed the tape of like there was this kid, I think, like a third grader who has Down syndrome and it was his birthday. And his birthday party got canceled. So all of the kids from his class came and they were like standing out in the street out front uh, out front of his house, like all, you know, like 10 feet apart. And they all sang happy birthday to him from like the whole block. 
And I was literally like, it was like the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. And there are these stories of people um, bringing, you know, elderly people in their neighborhood groceries and stuff. Uh, me, me and my, uh, my, my father-in-law were just doing that for uh, like this elderly guy who lives alone in, uh, in, in this neighborhood. And, you know, there's, there's people all around who are doing really beautiful things. There's a lot of good people in the world and, and, and all over the place, you do see the free market working. It's magic. Like there were, um, there's a lot of these grocery stores who just started putting limitations on how much toilet paper you can buy and things like that. Just little solutions like, okay, people are being crazy and hoarding toilet paper. Look, you, you can buy three of the big packs. That's it. No more than that. Okay. And then that's like, great. Yeah, this is a problem. So just on a, on a very local voluntary level, we're not going to sell you that many. My, uh, my wife's grandfather. So my, my daughter's great grandfather, who's 96 years old, he's at, um, lives in a, um, like a nursing home and they, uh, just stopped letting in visitors, which really is kind of sad and sucks because he's not in great health and, you know, the family wants to be able to spend time with him. But there was no government edict that told them they had to do that. They were just like, look, this is like these are very old people. If if the virus comes in here, it's going to kill all of them. So we're just not letting visitors in. And so there's all types of like these these responses that are completely organic, voluntary market based responses that are doing the best they can to, to deal with this situation. And um, yeah, I, there, there certainly is something beautiful about a lot of that. And it battles the kind of inherent cynicism that I think is present in that argument of, well, without the government, what would stop people from doing X, Y, Z? It's like, because people aren't generally assholes and they right. want to be good people. So they do that. Like, But again, you have a problem. It's like, OK, so if people are and, and look, the truth is, right, that there's there's a mix like we as we all know, there are yes. really good people out there and there are assholes like both of those things exist. But the problem is that. If so, if people are really good people, well, then you don't need the government because they'll do the right thing without the government. If people are real assholes, well, then you don't want to give them the power of the government. Like if people are real assholes, then you don't want to give them militaries and nuclear weapons and fiat currency where they can just bail out all of their friends. So either way, you have a problem inherent in statism. Yeah, and it's it's one of those that. I mean, you can bring it up to people, but there's always like that point where they just kind of walk away from the argument because there's really no argument to be made. And it's just, it's nice to see nice things like this kind of crop up to prove our point. Like, did you see the video that was going around on Twitter of the girl who was coming home from her last treatment of chemo? No, I don't think so. Yeah, she's coming home. So obviously, like, they can't really have a party for her right now because she's immunosuppressed and everything. And obviously, we got to do social distancing. So, like, everybody in the neighborhood, like, she's driving home. Her mom's driving her home. And, like, everybody's lined up on the side of the road in their cars. They've got balloons and they're all clapping and shouting and waving for her. And it's just, it's so sweet. It's so oh. cute. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, that is. No, that's like, there's, there's, you know, there is like, there's no question there is real beauty in humanity you know there's like these these beautiful wonderful like moments and then there's also the really dark ugly stuff but it's it's great to see those those moments and uh hopefully people can realize that all of that stuff is coming you know from the bottom up the problem that i see which just makes me a little bit disheartened is that then you see so many people in these moments it's like with rudy giuliani after 9 11 it, it, the same thing I see happening with Andrew Cuomo and some of these other politicians where they're like, oh, well, he's doing a really fantastic job through this whole thing. And it's like, he, what is he doing? 
He's just saying what anybody else would say. Um, but I, I would hope that people could pay attention more to stories like that when you just told me. And I hope Cuomo doesn't end up in the same place as Giuliani because um, I don't know what happened to Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> he's got brainworms now. <laughs> I think he's meeting with Ukrainians somewhere. He's trying to get in on that Ukrainian <laughs> cash cow. He's like, damn it, if Hunter can do it, I can too. Yeah, I almost feel for him a little bit. I mean, Hunter made a killing off that. So, yeah, you go get yours, Rudy. <laughs> he doesn't have the right last name, man. I don't know. I just... <laughs> <laughs> That might be it. But another thing that I noticed and I wanted to talk about, and this is something that just like I noticed and touching on the idea that obviously we're starting to get stuff back in stock in stores and stores are handling this by limiting stuff and which is good. And the thing that always still kind of fascinates me when I go to the grocery store, and I guess this is kind of one of the great triumphs of capitalism, is not only is price gouging not happening, but stuff is on sale. Like, I was able to buy hand soap on sale on Thursday, and it's just like, wait a minute. For for everybody who wanted to compare our bare shelves to, like, the USSR in 1982, it's like, no, this is not the same thing at all. And, again, it's just another one of those examples of how capitalism, I know we kind of don't like that word anymore, but for lack of a better term right now, is able to meet needs a hell of a lot better than like a centrally planned economy where, I mean, like we were out of toilet paper for what, like a week? Like, did anybody actually run out of toilet paper like ever anywhere? Yeah, not n- no one who I know of. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost one of these things where people will be like, um, you know, when I think this was a Tom Woods line where so- someone said, you know, people ask the wrong question. People ask, why is there poverty? But it's only because you're in such a, a freaking wealthy country that you even ask that question. The real question is, why is there wealth? Because why is there poverty is easy. Like, that's what we're born into is poverty. Man is born naked into the world with nature. Like, that's poverty, you know? The question is, why is there wealth? And so the question isn't so much like, why were, were shelves empty for a few days? They're like, why are the shelves always full? And the reason for that is because of the market. And so, yeah, you, these socialist countries are running out of toilet paper when there's not a crisis, when there's not a global pandemic. We had people freaking out. And, and part of that, by the way, I do think is, you know, some cultural deficiencies that, that we have in this country, um, you know, this kind of like consumerist culture that's been built up, which has not been a market phenomenon. It's been the stated intended goal of the government uh, for quite a while. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, the shelves have been restocked and everybody is, you know, it's not as if we have people starving. I mean, if, 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 you know, something like this hits like a, a, a communist country, even when it doesn't hit a communist country, they have people starving. We had people starving in Cuba for decades, people starving in the Soviet Union, starving in Venezuela before anything to do with the coronavirus. Yeah. And I don't even know what those countries are going to do now. I mean, especially Venezuela. I mean, you already had people eating garbage. Like what? What are they going to eat when there's no garbage? Yeah, it's it's that's really scary. But it's just it's so so many stupid, stupid, stupid attacks that have been launched against libertarians and just the whole concept of free market capitalism. And it's just like you look really dumb making these arguments. But yeah, well, I listen. I will say that I understand on some level 
if you if you don't look at w the government failures that that led to this you know uh, um, crisis being so mismanaged, and, and you at first look you know just like well the virus is here and that's that and this is the response was the best response we could have if that's that your your opinion. I understand where you could look at it and go like well what are you libertarians saying? I mean you're saying you have the freedom to leave your house and go down to the park and go infect somebody who's going to end up killing my grandma. Like I, like I understand on the surface of it where people could be like, uh, you know, like, okay, libertarianism wouldn't solve this problem. It's just that when you look into the government response to all of it, it's, um, you know, it, it's like, oh yeah, they, no, they failed at every single level and actually suppressed the market forces at every level from doing the best they could to solve this problem. The only flaw in, in libertarianism that I could maybe see is like if you are, um, which I think you might be, so correct me if I'm wrong, but if you are like an open borders minarchist, maybe you would have to acknowledge that there would be under certain emergency situations, it would make sense to limit travel. But maybe, I, I mean, maybe you think I'm wrong about that, but that that I could see an argument for. I mean, I can make an argument for limiting travel from... Like how we tried to limit travel from China, although I don't know how successful that actually ended up being because some of some of the implementation of that was kind of eh. and then of course you you did this sort of thing where you were supposed to be having people who were coming in from overseas get some kind of examination, but then that wasn't really happening, and so like when they instituted the travel ban from. UK and a lot of the other European countries, like the people coming in were supposed to be getting some kind of something or another exam, but it really wasn't. And so now you just got all these people kind of floating around who the hell knows what they do and do not have. But again, it's just one of those government failures where it's like you say that you're going to do this thing, but you can't actually do it. And then you botch it. And then God only knows what's going to come of that. But I think another problem that especially a very right now problem, especially related to coronavirus and how the federal government has handled this, is that we are currently being run by just fundamentally unserious people who seem to lack the capacity to handle a serious situation seriously. Like, not only just Trump, but you see so many elected officials who are just taking this time to try to dunk on people, to try to troll on people on the internet. And it's like, can you not right now? Like, we have a serious issue to take <laughs> care of. Like, can we please be serious people for five minutes? Oh, it's just outrageous. I mean, when you see the, like, um, you know, Donald Trump and and the and, and the media, I'll throw, like, the corporate press into this as well. I mean, like, the, the so, so it'll be Donald Trump, you know, being like, uh, you know, calling it, like, the Chinese virus and then the press is like well what about that's racist and that makes asian people feel a certain way and then he goes you're fake news and it is the chinese virus and you're like could all of you people can we talk about something serious like people are dying cities are being shut down people are scared out of their minds and you you are having like it, if two eighth graders were having this conversation you'd be like you guys are way too old for this it's just it's a joke and Mayor Bill de Blasio has just been, I mean, an embarrassment. So many of these people, they, they are so unimpressive. I, I remember a, a Tucker Carlson said once, I, I always really liked this line where he, he goes, uh, 
he said, I'm not against um, elites per se. I know society will always have elites. I just think we should have impressive elites. And I really agree <laughs> with that. Like the, the elites in this country are just so unimpressive. And that's been on full display to a like a terrifying level. And I think a lot of it also comes down to kind of where we've become polarized in this country and a lot of the tribalism that comes along with that. And just so many people trying to take this opportunity to try to score points on other people. And it's just like, but even going all the way up to Trump, like that little snide comment he made about Mitt Romney getting tested for coronavirus. It's like, oh, gee, that's too bad. It's like, seriously, dude, like this really isn't a joke. Like it's, it's not funny. <laughs> it's, if you think you got coronavirus, like this isn't really something to be like laughing at somebody about. Like this is a serious thing. Well, yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. And, um, <laughs> you know, there's there's a whole lot of that. But then the weird thing, and this is something about that I've found really interesting in the whole Trump m moment, is like, so do you remember back when when he said when Marco Rubio started making the little hands and you know what that means jokes, mm -hmm. and then like. Hillary Clinton would be making these like snide little like immature jokes about Trump and stuff. And you'd be like, oh, it's almost like like people see Trump and they're like, oh, my God, this is so immature and unprofessional and like unpresidential. And then you kind of realize you're like, oh, but wow, so many of them fall right into the same thing. And I saw today John Kerry. Did you see he tweeted at at. Um, yeah. At, at uh, Thomas Massey said you should quarantine yourself for being an asshole. Like, this is how you speak about someone daring to question whether we should blow $2 trillion without thinking about it and not even question it, just asking for a vote, just asking for a live vote on it. And you're like, wow, you were supposed to be Mr. Serious, Mr. Secretary of State and former Democratic presidential nominee. Then you're like, so, so I grant you your point about Trump, but they're all, they're all this same type of child it's it's maddening yeah it's this, it's this huge race to the bottom where everybody's kind of realized like oh if i act like a dick in public i people will like me or at least my people will like me and then other people will hate me and then it just proves my point and it's just like can we not do this right now like can we bench it until yeah. i don't know the pandemic goes away and we can go back to worrying about like whatever dumb shit we were worrying about before people were dying. Yeah. But I think, I think part of this is like, um, it's, it's, Oh, it's bigger than politics, uh, certainly influenced by politics, but it's a cultural issue. That is really something that we have to, you know, acknowledge. I mean, I'm like, I still think of myself as a young person, uh, sometimes, but then like, I have a, a lot of young, like, uh, fans, and I'll meet them and then realize how old I am, <laughs> you know, like I'm I'm a father who's pushing 40 and, you know, in my mind, I still feel kind of young. But then I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I'm really not. I'm really not that young. Um, but I remember, like I grew up on, you know, like my generation grew up on, you know, Howard Stern and Jerry Springer and like just all of this stuff. And um, that so and this has been and I'm like a 40 year old. Or, I mean, I'm only. I'm going to be 37, but, um, you know, like a father who's pushing 40 and this is the stuff I grew up on. So the younger generation has just known nothing other than this. And so if that is the backdrop of the culture, 
then what do you think your leaders end up looking like? They, like they don't even pretend to be serious people anymore. And there's something about that that I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I find it troubling. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. And it kind of reminds me of, I mean, I'm sure everybody is so, so tired of this comparison, but the movie Idiocracy and how like in the beginning of the movie, like that, that beginning montage, you see like the slide from people who are like relatively intelligent, well-informed to people who are making jokes about Fuddruckers to <laughs> President Hector Camacho. It's yeah. just like, yeah. uh, are we really doing this? Well, something that really bothered me about this, and I, I really, I, I haven't exactly worked out or formulated my take on this, but something really bothered me about all the news stories um, about like 20 year olds who are still going on spring break or whatever. And there was something about really demonizing the, the, the Zoomer generation um, for like their lack of values. And it's like coming from the the boomer generation and maybe a little bit of like the Gen X generation, like like kind of like demonizing them. Like, can you believe these kids have such a lack of values that they don't even care about like grandma getting sick and they're, they just want to go out to spring break and party? And it's like you realize – and I, I realize I'm speaking in kind of collectivist terms here, but I'm just trying to you know speak about broad you know kind of patterns. But it's like you guys raised that generation. So if they're so shitty, doesn't that kind of reflect on you a little bit? It's like, oh my God, I can't believe that they have no values other than having fun and thinking about themselves. It's like maybe that's because they've grown up in a culture that has preached nothing but that to them for their entire lives. And now all of a sudden you're worried that they're, they're like not thinking about others and, and like, okay, but I just find something kind of something perverse about demonizing the young um, for not like having turned out better. Like I just look on a more individual level, like if my daughter turns out like a bad person, that's a that's a comment on me. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't turn around and just be like, isn't isn't she a jerk? Like that's kind of on me. Yeah. And a thing about that is like there's kind of this bumper crop of stories coming out now from those kind of kids that went on spring break and everybody kind of dunked on them. And now it's kind of like, well, and this also goes back to people not taking this seriously and being run by fundamentally unserious people, is that they're looking at this like, well, we didn't see anybody else taking this seriously. So why would we like what? Like nobody else seemed to care about this. So why were we supposed to care about it? Yeah. Well, like what if I mean, it's like the 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 generation that gave you, uh, you know, President Trump and and, you know, whatever we're at going to be at now, 23 trillion dollars in debt. You know, they gave you, um, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in college debt and, you know, homes you'll never be able to afford and health care you'll never be able to afford. And they're like, oh, my God, how are you not thinking about the older generation? Like, <laughs> When did you guys ever think about them? Look what you've left them. You you inherited the the greatest standard of living that any human beings have ever inherited, and you blew it on what? On consumption, on on flat screen TVs and fancy cars and refinancing to you know to build additions on your homes, and and you're like you're you're so angry that they're not thinking about you. Maybe you know, maybe you you reap what you sow. 
And I try to think about, especially with the younger people kind of turning more towards a socialist bent and stuff, I think, like, I don't understand it. Obviously, I, it's something I find abhorrent on a, philo a philosophical level, but I can understand a generation who, in a lot of ways, were lied to. Like, especially when it comes to student loan debt and it comes to the things that you should prioritize. And now all of a sudden, like, you have this crushing debt and you can't do anything with it because everybody told you you had to go to college, you had to spend this money, and now you're kind of screwed. Like, I can understand being pissed about that. Like, I can understand a lot of the reasons why millennials and probably Zoomers, once they get old enough to really care about this kind of stuff, are generally angry and are like, well we got lied to so somebody should be compensating us for this money that we spent and not, like I said not that I agree with it philosophically but I can understand it on an emotional level well yeah look obviously I agree with you philosophically I mean you know uh, I, I'm completely opposed to, to socialism and also just like empirically historically you know it's it's a nightmare but I can certainly understand if somebody hadn't um you know because most people don't think in philosophical terms and and look at like I could easily see if I hadn't you know read a lot of the the stuff on economics and and philosophy that I have I, I mean I I could kind of see the appeal of it I mean I like like our healthcare system is such a nightmare now obviously I I you know understand a little bit about what makes it such a nightmare but I mean I pay for for m me my wife and my daughter I pay like an insane amount in premiums. Like I pay like I think over $20,000 a year I'm paying just on the premiums. And then there's still the co-pays and deductibles and prices. And like, I mean, my, my wife like burned her hand um, on, on, you know, like a, a pan last year. And we went to the hospital and got like a $1,300 bill for it. And it's like, what the hell am I paying for? This is insane. And and if somebody like, you know, if I hadn't read anything or, or thought about the philosophy or understood economics at all, and then someone like Bernie Sanders is coming along and he's like, how about this? How about no more premiums, no more deductibles, no more copays? I mean, I can see where that sounds kind of good. And if you're a kid who's 100 G's in debt and you're like working at Starbucks, yeah, forgive the debt. That sounds kind of good. So I think like I agree with you philosophically, it's it's horrible. But I think maybe the first step in, in us being able to reach these people is like understand where they're coming from. I, I mean, you know, I, I can get it. Yeah, and I think and a lot of Bernie people hate, hate, hate this comparison and probably a lot of Ron people hate this comparison too. But I can see a lot of parallels between the young people who are attracted to Bernie and the young people who were attracted to Ron Paul like you and I back in 2008, because it's saying something to you that sounds right in your head. Like you can understand like, okay, yeah, this is good. The, the only difference is obviously, and, and not to sound like an asshole, but our philosophy is right and theirs is wrong. But <laughs> we, we, we got, we got the good old weird cranky guy <laughs> and they, they got Bernie, but it's like, I can, I get it. And like you said, I think that is a good first step to trying to convert some of these people because a lot of people just look at them as basically like a lost cause. And it's like, whatever, they're stupid, they're dumb, they just want free shit. It's like, no, understand why it is they're feeling the way they're feeling and that it's not an entirely unvalid 
way of feeling if you were raised in the kind of situation that they were. And I guess this really does also speak to how different millennials were raised versus like us Gen Xers and Xennials. And it's it's a really weird generational shift. And you're really only talking about 10 years between the two generations. And it's like, I, I understand where it all went wrong and I wish more people kind of understood and tried to understand where these kids are coming from so that you could try to talk to them and be like, no, the answer is not free everything. The answer is the government's really screwed you here and they're the ones that we need to get rid of. Right. And that the answer is really that there's no such thing as free anything. I mean, that's like, you know, I remember this one and, and there are certainly similarities between Bernie Sanders and, and Ron Paul, right? They're both kind of like these disheveled, older guys. They're outsiders within their own party. They're, they're um, you know, hated by the establishment and they're seen as truth tellers, you know, like people who just care about people and are going to give it to you straight. And there's so there's certainly a similarity there. Um, but the difference is well, obviously, as you said in the philosophy, another major difference is that Ron Paul challenged his um, his, his followers. So people, you know, people at a Ron Paul, uh, you know, rally are screaming, they're chanting, "End the Fed!" Now, you don't chant "End the Fed" unless you've read a book or two. You just don't get there without having done a little bit of research, like to even know what the Federal Reserve is or care about monetary policy. Bernie Sanders just saying, you you know, healthcare should be free and your college should be free. You don't have to read anything. You don't have to like challenge your way of, the, it's just like, oh yeah, that sounds nice, you know? But I remember one moment that I really thought um, like was such a like stark example of the difference between Bernie Sanders and Ron Paul. And this was something Bernie Sanders said, this was years ago, might've been back in like 2012 or something like that. And Bernie Sanders uh, they, he was on uh, MSNBC and they played a clip of Ron Paul um, basically saying that the government shouldn't have any role in health care. And they asked him, they were like, well, what if somebody like, you know, doesn't have insurance and then they go out and they ride a motorcycle and they don't wear a helmet and they get into an accident? Are you saying that like the government shouldn't take care of that person? And Ron Paul just, you know, flatly said, he goes, well, that's what freedom's all about. You know, you can take your risks, but if you take your risks and then you make bad decisions, then you have to ask for charity, but you don't get to force anybody who didn't take those risks to pay you. You know, just flatly answer. And Bernie Sanders goes, he goes, listen, I like Ron Paul. He's a nice guy. He's a good person. But this is what he believes. He believes that if you don't have money, you should die. You should not get health care and, and you should die on the streets. Now, Bernie contrast these. That's how Bernie Sanders takes on Ron Paul's view. Bernie Sanders has never had a job in his life. He's been a politician his entire life. Ron Paul was a medical doctor who worked at a Christian hospital who got paid a dollar an hour for the first 10 years of his career and never turned anyone away. So Bernie Sanders gets to turn around and say, Ron Paul thinks if people don't have money, they should just die. Ron Paul is actually the guy who's performing. <laughs> like He's the doctor who's actually treating people who don't have any money. So the difference between the philosophies is that one is the statist and one is the freedom. You know, one gets to grandstand and say, I'm so great because I say we should write a law. And the other one actually has to roll up his sleeves and go do great things. And so that's, to me, the difference. Um, and I don't know. I, lo I lost track because I went on a Ron Paul <laughs> rant, but he's the greatest man in America. 
I think another huge contrast between kind of us and more of the socialist crowd, and I almost hesitate to call them socialists because I don't think they actually understand what that word means. I mean, I, would, I wonder how many of them have even read like the Communist Manifesto, let alone like Das Kapital or anything like that, mm-hmm. is that we all agree on what needs to be done. We just have a fundamental disagreement on who should be doing it. And I think that's really the big divide is so many people think like, okay, this thing needs to be done. Therefore, the state needs to do it. And and ours is like, no, we don't need the state to do that. There's private entities that could handle that same thing, probably faster, cheaper, more effective than the state. And it's just, I think part of it is getting people away from that reflexive kind of a thing needs to be done. Ergo, the federal government needs to go do it. Yeah, no, I I mean, I completely agree with that. And I think that if you were to eliminate the state from the equation, it's almost like there's something about the state. One of the most evil parts of it is that and this is kind of what I was touching on with the Bernie Sanders thing is you get this virtue, you know, you get to virtue signal out of saying I'm for this law. You you haven't done anything. You haven't helped anybody. You haven't sacrificed anything. It's just I'm for Medicare for all. See, now I care more than you. Now I care more than you about people. But if you just removed the state from the equation and let's say I wanted to virtue signal, which, you know, isn't the worst impulse. Like you want people trying to present themselves as virtuous. Um, But like if there is no state and I want a virtue signal about how much I care for uh, about people's health care, well, now I got to do something. Now I got to maybe donate some money or volunteer or help in some way, share a GoFundMe account or something like that, you know? And so it's like what what the ideal situation for me would be is take all of these do-gooder left-wing impulses and say, okay, but now you don't have the state, so now you have to actually roll up your sleeves. Because I know I'm so sick of, and I'm sure you are too, I'm so goddamn sick of like left-wing multimillionaires saying we just need a law for this or just need a law for that. It's like, how about you do something? You know, how many, what, what were so, how many billionaires who ran, or at least two billionaires, maybe three, who ran on the Democratic uh, uh, ticket this year? For, and they're all talking about how, what they want to do good when they're in, you know, w- when they become president. And it's like, like Tom Steyer and like these other guys. It's like, well, how about this? How about you're worth $7 billion? How about you just say, you know what? I'm going to keep $10 million. I'm still going to live better than all, you know, the 99.99% of the world. And I'm going to give the rest away to all these families in need. He would have done so much more good than he ever did through running for president. And that's to me like the saddest thing about the state, the worst thing about the state besides the mass murder. But the worst thing about the state is that they, they create this system where you're like, you know, even if like on our, you know, on, on, you know, your block, there's like a pothole or something like that. Instead of just grabbing five people who live on the block and saying, hey, guys, let's all meet here at 9 p.m. tonight. You know, when we're all off work, we're going to fill this pothole. You're just like, well, they better take care of it. They better do it. It's, it's always like you could just put it on someone else and no one feels like they actually have to contribute anything real. And And to me, that's like the worst of it. And what's even worse than that is like, the people who do do that kind of work, like Bill and Melinda Gates, every time they do something like that, it's never enough for certain people. It's like, oh, you gave a million dollars. Well, you're worth a billion. Like, okay, they didn't have to give any dollars 
So yeah. shut up. No, yeah, I know. I, I completely agree with that. And also, you know, uh, quite often what ends up happening is that these people do much better through actually um, just their capitalist enterprises than through any of the, phil uh, you know, uh, of the philanthropy. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, and I think it was the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that actually funded one of the first labs who started developing their own private tests for coronavirus. So hmm, while, while yeah, while everybody else was waiting around for the federal government to do something, other people were just doing it and just giving money and it was just happening. And then that was it. Like, that's, that was it. Yeah, I, I wonder, like, how, you know, and, and it's it, so... Um, by me where I live in the, the Upper West Side of Manhattan, um, where I am not currently, but where, where I have an apartment, see if I ever return to it, um, but I have an apartment there. Um, but there's uh, the Metropolitan Opera House, which is like this famous you know, opera house in, in New York City. If you guys ever watch Moonstruck, that's where Cher and uh, what's his name go to the opera. Um, but uh, it's got um, Charles Koch's name inscribed in the side of it. And I always just think it's hilarious that like all these like left wing Upper West Side people walk in there right past Charles Koch's name. You're like, oh, the evil <laughs> Charles Koch. Well, he helped give you this beautiful opera house that you love. And maybe you can say, oh, he's just doing that to like come off as a nice guy. But who who really cares, to be honest? Who cares why he's doing it? He's helping so that, you know, like he's building a nice like cultural center for everybody. So it's like, yeah, there's lots of people who do that. And maybe they just do it so they're seen. Like maybe it's almost like a guilt complex. Like, oh, I'm a multi-billionaire. I should at least like help build a museum or an opera house or something like that. But whatever. Whatever reason you do it for, yeah, do it. And and let's celebrate that. I say next time I go up to New York, whenever it becomes like safe for me to go again, I've already had to delay one trip up there and I have no idea when I'm gonna get to go up there again, but I'm gonna have to go look for that now. I'm oh yeah. To, I'm gonna have to put it on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's great. I really enjoy it. Me and my wife were laughing about it uh when we went there a few months back. Back before the apocalypse. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe that like at the beginning of this month, I had absolute plans on going up to New York this month. Yeah. And I was like, well, that didn't work out. I remember thinking I had like road gigs that were like planned, like, and I remember like three weeks ago, uh, like I had, I, I was going to be away for this whole weekend. And, and I remember like three weeks ago being like, there's a chance this may not happen. Mm -hmm. And like now it's like the fact that I even thought it was possible was ridiculous. Although I did see uh, just for fun, I was looking on uh, Expedia the other day and man, you can get some cheap plane tickets. You get six, <laughs> 68 bucks round trip from New York to L.A. right now, I saw. And I'll tell you, Jen, the Jew in me was like, <laughs> I almost I almost want to go to Los Angeles. Like I might have to book this. There's never going to be a better opportunity. I just talked to Mark Claire a couple of days ago, and may I suggest not going to L.A. right now? Yeah, no, my <laughs> wife my wife put the kibosh on that pretty quickly. I was like, baby, 68 bucks. And she was like, you're not going anywhere. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, things are not super cool in L.A. right now. But on, yeah. on that topic, I do want to touch on kind of bringing this back to our current coronavirus situation, and that is the economic impact that this is having. And... I was blown away when I saw the unemployment numbers for this just this past week 
3.3 million people. Oof. I mean, I was expecting maybe 1, 1. 1.5 million. I was not expecting 3.3 million. And this is only going to accelerate with, obviously, there's going to be more cities, more counties, more states doing shelter in place, doing lockdown, stuff like that. So we're just now seeing like the beginning of this crest and you've got people predicting 30% unemployment for the second quarter in the United States. And I'm just like this, whatever happens with coronavirus, this is going to be massive on an economic scale. And that's what scares me. I mean, even almost more so than the virus itself It's just, I know what the economic impact of this is going to be. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is going to get so bad. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be an absolute nightmare. I mean, I, I've been thinking, you know, that we're we're going to live through uh, the, the second Great Depression in America. I think this is going to be worse than, than 2008 by, by a lot. Um, I think that what you're going to have is it, it's going to be a tremendous exacerbation of inequality. And, you know, that has a lot of problems in terms of like social unrest. And so, look, if you just think about the shutdown alone, right, that already is going to have a huge effect on inequality in, in the sense that, um, I mean, who's going to be able to survive? Well, it's not going to be the mom and pop shops and the, the, the small and mid-level businesses are going to get absolutely crushed in this. Who's going to be able to survive are going to be the huge corporations. Then you add into that the fact that there's these huge corporate bailouts. Then you add into that the fact that we're back to 0% interest rates. And who does that end up favoring? Okay, well, it doesn't favor the, the family savers. It favors the speculators. So what you're going to see, and then, of course, the, the record high government spending now, well, who does that favor? It favors the politically connected. So every inch of this is going to favor the, you know, the rich and powerful and destroy the middle class and the working class. And um, I, I just, you know, it, there's going to be, it, you know, I think whatever the unemployment numbers end up being at the end of this, it, they're going to be very bad. And we're going to live through a, a best case scenario, I think, a severe recession. And the thing I worry about, too, is even once like, even once lockdowns are done and people are able to go to bars and clubs and restaurants and stuff again, and people are allowed to go pretty much wherever they want, the social aspect of this, I think, is going to take a much, much longer time to subside. Because, I mean, when exactly are you going to feel comfortable again going and standing three deep at a bar? Yeah, or when no. are you when are you going to feel comfortable like traveling to go do a gig in a, in a sold out show? And there's, you're in a room with like 300 people and now like you got to think about it because you've got a wife and kid at home. So it's like, um, when exactly are you going to be comfortable doing that? And I think yeah. that's going to be a really, really long lasting thing. Yeah, it's going to be weird doing stand up comedy with a mask on. I don't know. I got to I got to really think this through. No, I was thinking about that uh, earlier today. Like when are, are people going to shake hands? Is shaking hands going to be over in America? You know, like there's all these weird social uh, – I guess we're all going to be more uh, germaphobes than we've ever been before. I, you know, I, I really don't know, but I, I certainly think you're right that there's going to be huge uh, social ramifications from all of this. And the people that are being affected by it now who can't go to work, obviously, are the people who can 
ill afford to be out of work because I mean these people do not have like massive amounts of savings. They don't really have like a fallback plan. Like you, if you're working for tips for a living, like I don't know what it is you're gonna do now. And I just I think about that. Like I said, even once the lockdowns are over, like this is gonna really change how people interact with each other, and it kind of it, it really squicks me out in a way because it's just. I don't know. I I can see this just really fundamentally changing how people interact with each other and that's really going to interact how people like interact in public, how people kind of conduct their business, where you go, what you do, when you do it. So it's just I, I, that's what I worry about, really. Yeah. Well, I was um like Bob Murphy said earlier on uh, on my show. I, I recorded with him earlier today. Um, but uh, that uh, maybe the silver lining of it is you see uh, a, a lot of uh, parents who don't want to send their kids to public schools and there's a lot more homeschooling or something coming out of it. But I, I, I definitely agree with you that this is this is huge and it's going to reshape the social psychology of this country. And I guess a lot more than this country, but that's kind of my primary you know, concern because I live here. Um, but yeah, this is this is going to change everything. And it's really going to affect the people, well, like you. I mean, although I know it's not your primary source of, like, income anymore, but, like, all of your friends who do stand-up and stuff like that, people who do people who do concerts, people who do shows, stuff like that. It's like, when are people ever going to be comfortable really doing that again? Like, when are you going to be comfortable going to a baseball game? Like, when are you going to be comfortable sitting on an airplane? Like, what? I, I don't see where this ends. Yeah, me me neither because they can't shut down the whole economy long enough that the virus won't be there at all by the time we re-enter the world and then it's just going to start spreading around again and then what are we going to do? Have another shutdown? I mean, it seems to me and you know, look, I'm I'm not a virologist or something. I'm no expert in this, but it seems to me like at some point we're going to have to go we're just going to get herd immunity up and this thing is just going to get this is just going to like get to just about everybody. So I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a really interesting question and I really don't know the answer, but this is definitely going to have a profound psychological effect on American culture. And there's also kind of the aspect of the fact that now governments feel like they can do this sort of thing. Like you can put a city, a county, a state on lockdown and restrict people's movements, restrict businesses being able to operate and you're already kind of starting to see people find ways around this like I said I was talking to Mark Claire the other day and he told me this absolutely hilarious story of this like illicit clandestine art supply buy where obviously everything is closed down in California all the non-essential businesses but they were wanting to get art supplies for his girlfriend so they were calling around to these different art supply stores and finally somebody picked up and he's like are you guys open he's like no, but if you tell me what you need, you can pay for it over the phone and I'll package it up and then just call me when you're on your way and I'll put it outside for you. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like what is this? But this is, is this is what people are going to do. Yeah, it's like, well, that's I, I love like little stories like that. But to the the your first point there, I mean, like one of the things that really concerns me is that, you know, if, if you understand the way the government works, it's like once they set a precedent, they usually dig into that or expand it, if anything. And so now you kind of start to go, okay, I mean, it's not that, you know, it, it's it's not 
that deep of a slope, this this slippery slope, where you can go, okay, well, you've got all of these politicians and very powerful people who are saying that climate change poses an existential threat and that, you know, that it's going to wipe out all life on the planet and all of these other kind of, you know, really crazy, like you can believe in climate change, but all these really crazy un unsubstantiated claims like that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and AOC all say it's going to wipe out life on the planet. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, if you believe anything close to that, that's way more of an emergency than this coronavirus is, right? So why can't we shut down the economy for for climate change? I mean, you know, it's it's like really it it almost logically follows if you believe that this is enough of an emergency to shut everything down. Well, that's really an emergency, and then that's just me thinking of the emergency that I can think of. You know, I never could have thought of coronavirus two months ago as being this level of an emergency. So who knows what other emergencies they could come up with? And now we have established the precedent that the government can uh, tell you you do not have the right to leave your house to go to work. That's pretty terrifying. Yeah, now you've also got people who are starting to advocate for a national lockdown, which the sheer logistics of that, I don't even understand how you would do it. But the fact that anybody could even think that that would be a good idea is horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Pretty horrifying. And these are the people who like, you know, were trying to ring the alarms about Donald Trump being a fascist. And now they want him to, you know, bring the military in to shut down the whole country. It's it's a wacky world we live in. And they also apparently want him to use the Defense Protection Act to just start <laughs> nationalizing industries. I'm like, wait a minute, didn't you guys just tell me this guy was an incompetent idiot? And now you want him to start just like telling companies what they should and should not be producing like did you think this one through did you listen to yourself before you said this yeah and it's it's part of it to me is that um you know it's it's which i think so much of the 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 national conscious like like the the um the statist mentality is like our origin myth is world war ii being this wonderful triumphant noble venture and that's why they go, well, look, this is what we did in World War II. And this is a war now, too. It's a war on a virus. So we got to make these factories do what we want them to do. And yeah, and it's just like, I mean, first of all, World War II was the largest mass murder campaign in human history. It was a nightmare. I mean, just an absolute nightmare. Just just burning women and children alive, slaughtering civilians on, on a scale that's never before been seen or since been seen in human history. And, you know, it's like, well, let's just borrow the economic policies of that time. Like, uh, I don't know. Makes me a little bit queasy. Yeah. And I wonder how much people that make that argument know about domestic policy during World War II, because that is a topic that I'm kind of nerdy about. And I don't know if people understand that like you couldn't just go buy things then like everything was rationed and you had your stamps and of course there was a black market for that too because obviously humans are what they are and you're going to figure out a way to get what you want and so of course you had people who were more wealthy who were paying under the table for stuff and then you had people kind of swapping stamps and stuff like that but this idea that oh the country just banded together and everything was awesome i'm like um you couldn't go buy meat at the grocery store and 
you couldn't buy nylons and you couldn't buy milk and you couldn't buy gas and you couldn't buy cars or houses or really anything because everything was rationed and it wasn't really all that awesome guys it yeah kind of sucked then, yeah but this is because we live in this upside down world where everything about history that's taught to people is a lie and so they're taught that you know people are still to this day like taught that fdr was, was like an economic miracle he was the the president who presided over the worst economy in American history, and like, the, but it's like, no, you're supposed to remember that he did all these great things. It's yes, everything about World War II was nothing but a nightmare. Even, the, you know, obviously the worst of it being the the mass slaughter. But yeah, all that stuff you're talking about too. It was a very, very terrible time for everybody uh, in the country, and um, well, except maybe like weapons manufacturers or something like that. But um, yeah, so it's very creepy, very creepy that they want to borrow this this uh, you know. This idea that the 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 federal government should be able to bully uh, companies into producing whatever they want, and also as we've seen a million different times in uh in the 20th century and into the 21st century, the federal government doesn't fucking know what should be produced at what level. It's these this was like the great uh, you know Misesian insight is that this is the problem with central planning to begin with. You don't know. Nobody knows. There's no one person or one group of people who know. How many hospital beds should there be in the country? I don't know. Neither do you, Jen. We don't know. What's the number? You have to have tons of market transactions and businesses making predictions and guesses and a bunch of them failing and then some of them succeeding before you even approach what the appropriate number is. You know? Like how, how many how many ventilators need to be made now? How many masks need to be made now? Well, the only way to really find anything close to the, the honest number is to see what the demand is and how much profit can be made from that because that's how you determine through the pricing mechanism what is actually worth spending the time on for that because there's a lot of other things that need to be produced too. So it's just – it's terrible economics and the authoritarian implications are terrifying. But Dave, we can't have people making a profit right now. <laughs> oh God! What an idiot! That Bernie Sanders, right? This is not the time for profiteering by the pharmaceutical companies. Actually, this is the best time for profiteering. Like the—that's all you want right now. How about say, it, listen? If anybody solves this problem, I hope you get filthy rich. I hope you get filthy rich off solving this problem. Imagine with a straight face telling a pharmaceutical company, "Listen, um, it's going to take a ton of money." Um, uh, in in development and research to figure out a vaccine for this, and you're probably going to open yourself up to you know a lot of different lawsuits, and then it's going to cost a ton of money and planning and time to distribute uh, all of these vaccines. But uh, just know that if you do it, there's nothing in it for you. You you won't make a nickel off of that. Does that say what an economic ignoramus? And this this guy Bernie Sanders is running on economic issues. And this is his understanding of of the world. It's just, oof. Yeah, and it's like, I don't care if somebody makes a profit off of something, if it brings it to market. Like, if somebody develops a test, like a, a at-home test for coronavirus, it costs you 50 cents to make it. You charge me $20. I don't care. I'll pay $20 for the test. I want to know if I have coronavirus. Yeah. No, and, and even beyond that, if you were to come up with a vaccine, like if you could solve this problem, I I mean, I just, I hope you make 
ungodly amounts of money. I think about it just like this. You, you would be solving a problem that is shutting down basically the entire economy of the United States of America. You don't think you should get some money for that? I hope you get a ton of money off of that. I know. Like, you should become a billionaire off that. You saved the world. Yeah, really. <laughs> like, okay, you made money. I don't and, give a and shit. Even, right, and even beyond, like, what you should make for saving the world, the point is right now no one has the vaccine to save the world. So you want we want them to be incentivized to do that. So, you know, like, if I could, you know, speak to the entire country, if I had their ear, it'd be like, hey, whoever can do this, you will be filthy rich. Try to incentivize people to, to do it. Yeah, I've seen people propose an idea like, like SpaceX, but for the vaccine, where like it's a competition and whoever comes up with it gets a billion dollars. Like, okay, cool. There, there you go. You want to get a vaccine quick? There you go. Put a billion dollars at at the end of the rainbow. There, you're gonna get your vaccine. Yeah, yeah. No, I 100. percent But it's just like it's. Oh, this is just gonna get so much worse before it gets better, and it just makes me sad. Because now I don't know when I'm going to get to go see my friends or when I'm going to get to go to a bar or really even leave my house for non-essential things. And it's just like none of this had to be. And that's the thing that just pisses me off most. And kind of the thing that I keep bringing this back to is like none of this had to happen. And the only reason it happened is because of a massive federal government screw up because we had to do it in this stupid-ass, top-down way, instead of just opening it up, decentralizing it, telling every lab in the country, like, whatever you're doing, stop doing that, prioritize this. Like, yeah. we we could all be, like, living normal lives right now and not being stuck in our houses. Yeah, I, I couldn't say it any better than that. I, I think you're absolutely right. And um, that is that is the shame that if I say maybe if people had listened to libertarians for the last 30 years, or maybe if libertarians had done a better job of uh, selling their message and convincing people in the last 30 years, we, we this this whole thing would have never become the problem that it is. And there wouldn't have been these stupid regulations. There would be more hospitals to, uh, you know, to accommodate people. There would be there would have been testing available. They would there wouldn't have been stupid government advice like don't wear masks. And we probably could have contained this thing much easily and much more effective. And, and, you know, if you do want to blame the Chinese government there, you know, if they hadn't, you know, silenced that doctor who blew the whistle on this whole thing, they probably could have been contained in China. But I would point out that as a, a Lou Rockwell wrote a really fantastic piece about this last week, that, you know, your enemy is not China, your enemy is the Chinese government. There were, there, were the, there were Chinese doctors who risked their lives and in some cases gave their lives to try to blow the whistle on this thing and stop the whole thing from happening. But really, you know, it's, it's a failure of governments on a global scale. And um, you're absolutely right. It didn't have to be this way. And now kind of sucks. And also to point out that China is an authoritarian government that is also top down. And if you really think that that wouldn't happen here if we gave the government control over healthcare, you're fucking insane. Amen. Like, of course they're going to lie about it. Like, the incentive is obviously there to lie about it. But on that note, we have been going quite a while now, so I feel much better now. It's always nice to get stuff <laughs> off your chest and rant. Especially I, when there's, I agree. Especially when it's not just ranting to yourself, but, you know, that's always nice. So... Not that anybody needs any help with this, but my customary closer is to just 
let my guests tell people where to find them, promote whatever it is you want to promote. So go ahead. Oh, well, you know, my, my podcast is part of the problem. It's available at the Gas Digital Network, gasdigitalnetwork.com. And I'm uh, Comic Dave Smith on Twitter. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's pretty much all right now because uh, I don't have any uh, live stand-up shows uh, to promote. But I, uh, I appreciate very much you having me on your show, Jen. And hopefully when all this craziness is over, you and uh, – you and Pete come back up to New York and me uh, and Lauren can uh, take you guys out to dinner or something. That would be awesome. One of these years when it is now safe to go back up to New York. <laughs> but at least maybe on the bright side, you've got more time to work on your new special. Well, you know, unfortunately, the working out a new comedy special kind of requires going and running the hour in front of an audience. But, uh, but you know, I'm getting a lot of podcasting done. We're going to figure out a way to do this through Google Hangouts. Like That's our new thing now. We have to do everything over the internet. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe you're right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for sitting down and talking with me, Dave. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks. So obviously, I'm going to wrap that up here. As always, if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.